welcome to Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, It Ain't Over Yet. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 1 and let's join in now. Well, hey, it is good to be here with you continuing our series, God on Film. Have you enjoyed it so far, God on Film? Uh, last week we did uh, Dory, and I can't remember what the message was about. How does that sound? That's a cheesy joke uh, for the day. Uh, number one, you want to make sure in your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter one, and then make sure to put a finger in Revelation chapter 20. It's where we'll be today as we continue the series, God on film. Now, a special note about next week. Next week, we're going to invite the kids back in the service. We did it last week. We'll do it again next week as we tackle uh, the issue of anger from the movie Angry Birds. It'll be great. You want to invite someone. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. But today, we are in the movie Independence Day with the message title, It Ain't Over Yet. Turn to someone next to you and say, It Ain't Over Yet. And it's funny how uh, when we were choosing movies to go through in the month of July and then uh, apply the scripture into the issue, uh, you know, sometimes you think you're just picking movies, but then uh, every once in a while, you just notice that God had something going on, even in the choosing of the, of, the me- of the movies that we would tackle during July, because I think that we're living in a time where uh, many people live in a lot of fear of what's going on all around the world. Um, I think uh, we live in so much fear uh, that uh, many of us, we try to hide behind things like, guy, there's, there's a guy in here. I'm sure who's macho and says, I don't fear anything. Hey, I'm prepared. Uh, You have how many guns in your gun safe? And you're saying you're not afraid of what might happen in our nation. Uh, And then for those of you who don't buy guns and maybe you fall on a different side of that issue, uh, maybe you've taken out an equity loan and you have a house in Sydney, Montana, and it's stocked all the way to the ceiling with canned corn because you're so afraid of what might happen and you have to run to the hills, right? You're like, I'm not not fearful. I'm just prepared. Or uh, like yesterday... I had one of the most fearful moments of my life, and uh, I was driving on a youth group trip. We went down to Hills Alive in Rapid City, South Dakota. We were at a Christian music festival just having a great day, and it occurred to me when it came time to go home at 5 o'clock and start driving back to Billings that I was going to be in a car full of sweaty, stinky middle school boys, right? And uh, there's no fear like that. I tell you, when you close the door, you think, oh, Lord, I need your grace and mercy for six hours. That's right, six hours. I said it. But, uh, but kind of getting it a little bit more serious here, uh, the movie Independence Day is predicated on the idea that there is an alien attack on Earth. They have a ship the size of the Atlantic Ocean, and they are coming to destroy Earth. And so Earth must unite to tackle these aliens and gain their independence from these alien forces who are coming to destroy them. Now, we know that's a fictional story, um, but I think that in our real lives, we operate with a similar kind of fear that these folks did in the movie. Uh, If you were to watch the movie, you could feel the pressure just beginning to draw on them and press down on them as they thought about these these aliens coming to attack them. And the movie implies they had been uh, in fear for 20 years that the aliens might return. Because how many of you uh, would admit that you saw the very first Independence Day, 1996, when the fresh Prince of Bel-Air rescued the world? Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. 
Um, but we live with that kind of pressure, and, and it's interesting how uh, the world going to pot coincides with the week where us as Americans, we're looking around going, when did what was only supposed to happen in the movies start happening in our important cities in Dallas where policemen are getting sniped and getting killed? Hey, when, when was it that a country that was involved in helping our country gain our independence have to deal with, on one of their biggest days as a nation, have to deal with terrorism and, and a truck running through parades and shooting people? And, and this pressure starts to press in on us, and we begin to to, to buy into fear, but as a Christian, I'm here to tell you uh, two things today in this message. If you don't get anything else, here are the two things. Number one, Jesus Christ is strong. Do you believe that in the room today? That Jesus Christ truly is strong. And, here, and here's the second thing. Not only is he strong, but he can hold together everything. He holds it all together. He is strong enough. So not only is he strong, but he uses that strength to sustain his creation. And Christians, you and I don't have to live in fear anymore. We don't have to get caught up in all the things that are happening in this world. We can know about it. We can be informed and then we can uh, try to live out the grace of God to a broken and lost and dying and hurting and confused and scared world. But we don't have to participate in all of these emotions. And so um, here we're going to jump in to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is one of my favorite uh, passages of Scripture. And the author of Hebrews says this in verse 1. And make sure everybody read, read down on this as, as I read it aloud. Uh, it says, God, which by the way, the author of Hebrews he wasn't into big, strong arguments. He just starts out his passage of Scripture here by saying, God, assuming that God really does exist, he speaks for himself. And so he says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in, t- uh, in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. So there we have the difference between the Old Testament and the prophets and the New Testament, the age of grace, the age of the church. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds. Now, if you're catching this in scripture, it's very important, especially here at Elevation, uh, because over 200 people have come to know Christ through Elevation in the last three years. There's a lot of folks who don't grab onto this, and I want you to. Jesus is eternal. He existed before creation. In fact, the scriptures here in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2 tell us that Jesus was there at the creation of the world. So if you come across a religion or someone trying to say Jesus was just a man or Jesus started right there uh, when he was born, no. Scripture teaches that Jesus eternally existed before the creation of the world, and that means he stepped from heaven down to earth. And so moving on in Hebrews 1, verse 3, and this is where I really want you to check in. He says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express or exact image of his person. That means the Father and the Son are one and the same in glory and express image. And uh, you begin to see the Trinity developing here, why we believe the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But here for the purpose of the message is where we tackle uh, this scripture. It says, and he upholds how many things, church? How many things? All. You know, I checked in the Greek just to make sure I was right, and all means 
all. That's what it means. He upholds, yeah, I'm glad you get me right there, that you uh, smell what I'm stepping in. All means all. Uh, He upholds all things by the word of his power. It says, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, Uh, We're going to tackle a few things here, and the first one we're going to do is tackle right there uh, about upholding all things by the word of his power. Uh, In the movie Independence Day, there have been several spoof commercials that have happened as a result because, uh, you know, they they kind of played the movie forward. Now there are aliens attacking the world, and so uh, the world has to come together and put together a task force so that aliens would never come again. That's kind of the storyline that's happening. And so they, they did this spoof commercial. And by the way, they're talking about a war in 1996 against an invasion from outer space. If you don't recognize that that's a spoof, talk to us after you have other issues, okay? We are responsible for holding our world together. Now, does this mean that we can do whatever we want? No. But we we tend to think, well, it's our job to make sure the entire world works. And this is why there's so much fear and so much worry and so much anxiety in the world we live in. Because here's the truth. You and I cannot sustain the world. We can't do it. But this is your first blank, and this is what Hebrews tells us. Write this down. In fact, if you want to take notes, just flip your program over and write this sentence down. Jesus holds everything together. Jesus holds everything together. You know, this means that he is strong enough to even uh, go over the politics of this world. It means that it's not our job to try to divide uh, or try to try to get a country together that is now divided politically like never before. It is the Lord's job. None of this has taken him by surprise. And it's not going to end. This world is not going to end until Jesus says that it gets to end. In fact, In Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, uh, this is how much Jesus holds everything together and how much he knows what's going to happen. Uh, In Revelation 19, we get a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to be an alien attack that's going to take take down earth or subdue the nations. No, it's going to be a savior who is on a white horse. Listen to this passage in Revelation 19. It says, then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What is that name? Say it with me. 
King of kings and Lord of lords. And so what we have here is a strong Savior. I'm not sure we really gather just how strong Jesus Christ really is. I think our picture of Jesus is a subdued hipster guy walking around Snapchatting his food, right, who would love everyone. And, And while he was meek, certainly while he was meek and while he was gentle on this earth, Here we have a picture of a Savior who is stronger than the world we live in. He is stronger than the nations. He is stronger than your news feed. He is stronger than what you hear on your TV set. He is stronger than the pain in your life. He is stronger, and he holds everything together. Isn't it good that we serve a God who is that strong? And what has to happen is this switch from a movie theater theology that says um, it's man-centered, it's all about us, and the Christian should be taking our eyes off of the issues and the problems, and yeah, we know about them, and and we're not trying to be ignorant, uh, and we hear them, and we understand them, but once that happens, we take our eyes off them, and we put them onto our Savior, and we don't get caught up in the things that the world gets caught up in. Now, um, here in the movie, I'm going to show you one more clip and one more commercial. Uh, The movie makes a funny assumption to me, and it is this. For unity to take place in this world, for people to truly gather together and unify for the common good, it takes a major catastrophe. That's what it takes. It it basically makes the assumption that unless aliens were to invade the planet, there wouldn't be no racial reconciliation. There would be no political reconciliation uh, in this world. It's going to take that. If Jesus holds everything together, I want to give you three things that are happening in our world that you don't have to worry about, that you just have to trust the Savior with in your life. And here they are. Um, Jesus is big enough to hold even racial, political, and environmental tension in this world. I got news for you. This world is not going anywhere anytime quick. We don't have to live in fear of what's going to happen to us. And, And how do we know this? How do I know that Jesus is big enough to hold these things together? Because looking back at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, after he upholds all things by the power of his word, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. In Hebrews, we're given a clue that God has already done the work of reconciliation. I'm kind of crazy. I like this version of the Bible called the New American Standard Version. I don't preach from it, but I study from it a lot. And all of you are like, Dave, you're so old school. And I say, thank you. Yes, I am. That's right. I like the Will Smith Independence Day better than the new one. I did. And so uh, back in that version, it says this. When he sat down and made purification for sin. Um, You see, the struggle that we have in this world, the things that are causing fear, the things that are causing anxiety, the things that are um, causing us to take our eyes off of Jesus have already been paid for at the cross. And the mission of the Christian, check this out, the mission of the Christian is to have our hope fixed on the second coming, but when we see injustice, when we see things that hurt, things that are painful, things we don't understand, things that we can't reconcile, we don't look forward to the second coming. We look backwards to the cross where we're reminded that Jesus already by himself stood in the place and reconciled those sins. Now, 
some of us are thinking, well, that's heavenly minded, Dave, but there's no earthly good in that. Um, I want to I wanna challenge you to remember something. For those of you who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, isn't it a miracle that God reconciled you to him? That God reconciled you to him. That's a miracle, y'all. When I think about Dave Carroll being a pastor and God reconciling me to him, I'm thinking, wow, God, you did some serious work because it doesn't take most of you but five minutes to hang around me to figure out that I'm pretty jacked up. You know what I'm saying? I I have issues. And here's the truth. You have issues too. And, And it is a miracle that God reconciled us to him. And if God can get this reconciliation right with us to him, don't you think that he can be God over this reconciliation from a black person to a white person? God can do it. You see, there's all these hashtags floating around that all lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter, all these lives matter. Can I redo the hashtag for you here in scripture as we tilt it from a man-centered way of thinking to a God-glorifying way of thinking? There's one life matters. Put that on your hashtag. You know whose life that is? It's the life of Jesus Christ because when he did his work back on the cross, he reconciled, he paid the penalty so that all these things could be made right so that there could be racial reconciliation, so that we could overcome the differences of politics, but more importantly, so that we could be reconciled to God. And if he can do that, I know that he can do everything else. Can I get a big amen? Now, I know we're dealing with this 10,000 foot level here of things that God can reconcile, but here's your next blank. Write this down. Yes, he can do that. He can reconcile all those things. But he even, and write even, really big, he, really big, he even holds my life together. You see, when the scripture says that Jesus upholds all things by the power of his word, that, that's what the, the macro, the big picture, but that also applies down to your life. You see, you may, you may be here and you might say, Dave, I recognize that our world is, it seems like it's falling apart. But here's something that I deal with even more than that. My world, my world is falling apart. It's crashing down. I thought I would be successful, and I'm not. I thought that I would stay married, and I'm not. I thought my kids were going to grow up to be the next great leaders in our country, and instead they're drunk on the side of the road, and I'm trying to get them out. It's not happening, Dave. I'm worried I thought the job would work out, but it didn't. I thought I would have enough money. I thought my home would appreciate to the level that I could sell it, but now I'm stuck holding the cards, and, and, and I'm, I have nothing. I'm worried. Jesus even holds your life together the one who's coming on a white horse, the one who's going to defeat the nation, who has a plan much bigger than us, still cares about that, cares about us, and that is incredible. Now, I want to be academic with you just for a quick second. Everybody turn to Revelation chapter 20. And uh, here's how I can assure you that with everything going on in our nation, with everything going on around the world and everything going on in your world, Jesus has a plan in the scriptures for the end of the world, and the Christian doesn't have to waver about what's going on in this world because we have the game plan right here. Because there in in Hebrews chapter 1, 
uh, we saw that Jesus is called the Word of God. And so if we want to get to know Jesus' plan, we open up the Scriptures, which are one and the same, uh, the written Word, uh, giving a witness to the living Word and the active Word. So here's the little exercise. I'm going to read down Revelation chapter 20. Every time I say the term 1,000 years, I want you to count how many out loud, uh, how many times we say 1,000 years here in the scriptures. Let's just practice really fast. 1,000 years. 1,000 years? Ah, good job. You guys are smart. You get it. So here we go. We're going to read down from Revelation chapter 20 until uh, we get to the end here in verse 7 uh, of what I'm aiming for. <clears throat> We're going to learn God's plan for the end of the world and why we don't have to fear and why we can trust him. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is after the second coming. Jesus' feet have stomped down on the Mount of Olives, right? And here's where we start our numbers. He laid hold of the dragon, that is the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him. Aren't you excited that he's going to bind Satan, right? That Satan is powerless for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and the judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years we're finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has a part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released. Here in Revelation chapter 20, and I want to help you with your end times thought so that now you become sober-minded as a Christian, uh, here six times in the first seven verses of Revelation chapter 20, we're told that there is a period of how long? A thousand years coming after the return of Christ. So we're living in the church age, the age of grace where we are now. At some point, the tribulation will happen, seven years, right? And then... The, the second coming of Jesus will happen. There's a few things that happen that's minutia in there. But for the purpose of moving on, you have the second coming, and then you have how many years? A thousand years. It's not an allegory because the author of Revelation takes great pain to tell us six times that it is 1,000 years, right? 1,000 years. So, like, why do we have to make junk up about it when he gets six times? 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000. I think, okay, I get it. Stop, 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 right? I get it, 1,000 years. And then after that, if you continue reading the scripture, there's going to be another battle all the way. And so sometime, I don't know how long it is, between the end of the 1,000 years and Revelation 21.1, but this is what happens after this period. Watch this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so as a believer, we see the game plan in the Bible is that 
there's the second coming, and then there's a thousand years, and then there's more time, and then the heavens and the earth pass away. So if you're concerned that a nuclear bomb is going to come and blow us all up, I have news for you. It's not going to happen, right? Because Scripture has been so reliable all the way through the New Testament, we can trust um, the rest of the Scripture that hasn't happened yet. There's only a little bit left that hasn't happened. Let's go ahead and trust that part too. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so we can have faith. But it brings us to a very important uh, application. Write this down. If your world, if your world to an end, that's literally, figuratively, could be an allegory, could be something going on in your life right now. If your world is coming to an end, you know what you're doing? You're serving the wrong king. Because our king, our king is strong enough. Our king is strong enough through your pain. Can I get an amen? You're serving the wrong king if you're living in worry and fear and depression and anxiety and you're buying into the lie that your world is going to end. You're serving the wrong king. Your king is a little K king, not the king of kings and the Lord of the lords, the one who sustains everything. You know, right there in the scripture where it says he upholds all things by the power of his word, that means that he continues to sustain it. God is not going to let this world pass away until he's good and ready. And here's the good news too. Not only is that true of the physical earth and of the world and of, and of everything that's happening, is true of your life. That God is not willing that you should perish, but that you should have eternal life in him. And you may be saying, but I don't know. I feel like my world's ending, Dave, because I go through so much pain. You don't know how much pain I go through. Some, some folks wake up in physical pain and they just think their world is done. They could never have purpose. They could never have a life full of joy in Christ ever again. But I'm here to tell you today, Jesus holds how many things? Everything. He holds all things. He holds even your pain. You may be ready to give up, man. You might be ready to throw in the towel and say, you know what? I tried. I tried to live for Christ. I tried to do things, but it just didn't work out. No, no, no. God sustains all things. All things. Serve the right king. And here's what I know. When you serve the right king, not only does your world not come to an end, but you have a peace during the fear that surpasses all understanding. How many of you know the peace of Jesus Christ in the room right now? How many of you know that? I, I know that he is able. And so here today, I want to challenge you to serve the right king in your life. When you're upset at work or you're upset with your family, you say, nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to buy into that. I'm going to serve the right king. When you turn on the news and you're fighting mad at all the hashtags, no, I'm not going to buy into that. I'm going to serve the right king because my king is sober-minded. He has a plan. He's written it down in the scripture, and I get to walk in it, and I get to trust him. You hear what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? That's where we are. And so today, for a response time, I'd like to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. And I have two questions. Question number one, how many of you came today and you would say, Dave, I have to confess something. I have been living in a lot of fear and in a lot of worry. I just have. And it might be over the big stuff that's happening in our world, but it also might be big stuff that's happening in your world. 
And if that's you and you say, Dave, I would just like you to pray for me that God would help me by experiencing his peace during my fear. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody that say it? Yeah, all over the room. Thanks. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But here's, here's the second question. And the second question is this. Have you been reconciled to Christ? The scripture in Hebrews tells us that Jesus by himself, no other, there's no other religion that's going to work. There's no other alternate book that's going to help you. It's Jesus. Jesus made possible your reconciliation to God by the cross. By living a perfect, sinless life. By shedding his blood, dying, staying in the grave three days, but on the third day, defeating death and rising again. And he promises he's coming back for those who are his. And the scripture says this, you can be reconciled to God through the life and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you have not done that, I want to ask you a question. Would you like to? 